welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and we are here discussing season one, episode one of Six Feet Under. There's an introduction podcast uh, I would invite you to listen to so you can get a background on me and where I'm coming from regarding the show. Uh, Something different I'm going to be trying here is when you hear this sound, followed by some music, uh, that will be me giving my insight into the show wearing the funeral director slash mortician hat slash goggles. As you can hear, that's the chime that starts off the show's title sequence. I believe anyone can give you analysis or their thoughts on a show, but I'm going to be approaching it a little bit differently as with my insight into the funeral industry aspect of the show. A little bit about the show we are going to head into. Six Feet Under was created by Alan Ball. At the time, most notably known for American Beauty. When American Beauty, while being a personal favorite of mine, uh, definitely carries a lot of the tones and themes expressed here in Six Feet Under. I would almost go as far to say that American Beauty was sort of the film short Alan Ball created to get Six Feet Under. Obviously, that's not how it went, but you could almost see how the two closely mirror each other. There's sort of muddy waters on who exactly created the premise of the show, but for the sake of the podcast and whatnot, let's leave it as Alan Ball being the head honcho and the showrunner. As a funeral director, to keep your license, you have to partake in CEUs, or Continuing Education Credits as they're known, which are common in any industry, uh, where classes or seminars or conference meetings to learn about new industry standards or to discuss past and present industry standards. So as faith would have it, Alan Ball was actually speaking at a gala near me, which was credited to earn CEU credits to keep up to date my funeral director license. Uh, Unfortunately, life got in the way and I didn't hear about it until after the event. And that's something that, you know, always dug at me, never getting to hear him speak specifically to a funeral industry room. What is Six Feet Under about? Well, we'll definitely get more in-depth into the show as the series goes on, but if I could summarize the show, it's about death and life, and I think importantly in that order. Commonly, the cliche is in life and death, but here, I believe death comes before life and how we handle, or in some cases, don't handle it at all, all while taking an ironic slash dark humor glow to it all. Uh, I I definitely think it's important before we get into the episode to discuss the title sequence that starts every episode. Thomas Newman, the composer here, uh, who also scored American Beauty, uh, was brought in by Alan Ball. And you could definitely hear the similarities if you listen to both the score in American Beauty and our title sequence. To my learning, the process of creating the intro uh, was backwards to how it's usually done. As usually they create a piece to the visual... Whereas here, they had the music in place already and created the visual part after. Um, They brought this music to a studio and they basically created four storyboards slash ideas and combined the four into what we see today. 
in my opinion of the intro, uh, it's just visually pleasing. You know, uh, I was searching long and hard for a term to describe it. And the best, the best I could basically muster up was quirky. Uh, there's something spooky but beautiful about the music, the scenes. Uh, everything is understated, simplistic, but still powerful. And, you know, here the intro really defines the show. It works so perfect for this show about death. Alan Ball, while, you know, while listening to a commentary, says it's a wonderful synthesis of music and picture. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. To go on a quick verbal tour of the intro, we have what starts off as the hands holding, uh, you know, a close sign of togetherness, then falling apart, you know, letting go of life. It flashes up next to presumably the deceased uh, foot on the table or their feet rather. And, you know, kind of the notion of a death tag or a toe tag, as most people know it as. Uh, we move up into a shot of the sky, presumably the spirit of or soul of our deceased going up into heaven or whatever you believe in. Cool moment here as the music and the motion in sync movement here. As the music starts up, the table which the deceased is on starts to roll and the deceased is now being transported to the funeral home. Uh, we move on to the embalming room and, you know, there's just quirky, funnily placed names within the moving images uh, introducing us to the cast and the crew. The real quick shot of the cotton swab going over the deceased eye. It's funny here, uh, watching this intro countless times over the years, you know, I've almost led myself into a false belief that this was actually a dead person. And while watching the making of, they have a shot of them filming this exact scene. And you see the eye move because obviously the person is real. And for me, it was a real freak out moment uh, if you've seen the intro as much as I have. Uh, we segue here, takes us right through a beautiful shot of the flowers, which certainly relates to funerals and the way they just wilt immediately. You know, tr sort of a true life to death moment. Um, next, we have our pallbearers opening the door of the hearse, taking the casket out of the car and now at the cemetery. And while we don't see them placing the casket into the ground, we have just quickly went on this journey from the moment someone died right to the cemetery. Here we see the crow, which flew by on our opening shot. Uh, same crow here at the cemetery. The crow becomes a nice symbol in the later episodes. It doesn't directly correlate with death, but it certainly symbolizes. Uh, funny tidbit, while watching the making of featurette, uh, in the U.S., you are actually not allowed to film crows for commercial purposes. They got this pie crow, uh, which has a white chest, and they actually painted it black and used some CGI of the crow flying. Uh, finally, the tree, which starts and ends our tour of the title sequence. You know, another really simplistic but powerful image. Uh, the hardest part of media, or art rather, uh, in my belief, is overthinking yourself in the work. You know, to allow, your, to allow free your mind to come to something as simple as this tree. Truth be told, on the commentary, uh, after searching far and wide for a tree to shoot for, uh, a friend through a friend through a friend, as they express, uh, needed a tree cut out of their yard. And it just so happened to be the perfect tree that the design studio was looking for. So they brought the tree to this kite hill we see, planted it, shot it. And the last thing we see in the title sequence is the six feet under text in a casket of sorts, six feet under the ground, 
and we roll right into our episode. Our pilot episode uh, aired June 3rd, 2001, and it was plainly titled Pilot. The, the show itself is shot in Los Angeles, and I would even go as far as to say Los Angeles itself is a silent character in the show. On the commentary, Alan Ball notes that he wanted to shoot the show in Los Angeles because Los Angeles is the world's capital in denial of death. For everything Los Angeles slash Hollywood stands for and represents, uh, I actually see where he's coming from with this detail. Uh, So the premise of the pilot is Nathaniel Fisher Sr. is driving to the airport to pick up his son, Nate Fisher Jr., to spend time with the family for the holidays. In our opening scene, we meet the Fisher family. Uh, Francis Conroy, playing Ruth Fisher, wife, and very soon the widow of Nathaniel Fisher Sr., played by Richard Jenkins. Uh, we have Peter Krause playing Nate Fisher Jr., the son, and Michael C. Hall, the other son, playing David Fisher. And the youngest and only daughter, Claire Fisher, played by Lauren Ambrose. In our opening scene, we have all we need to know about the show's humor, where Nathaniel is on the phone with Ruth, driving the brand new hearse while Ruth is hammering him on smoking how it will lead to a nasty and long death. Um, You know, David in the background complaining how the hearse was a waste of money. And right then and there, Nathaniel is killed instantly. I go back and forth of what to call this, you know, between irony or dark humor. So from here on out, uh, I'm basically going to address it as six feet under humor. Uh, A show only about death would be pretty morose, but... The added theme of the six feet under humor is what really gives this show its glow. Uh, I I would definitely like to add here uh, a cliche we use in society is that death is the great unifier. And it's absolutely true. I've worked many visitations where long lost relatives or friends have to be introduced to their own family because they haven't seen them in so long. Here you have the holidays, which is also a great unifier, bringing families together. Uh, You tie death and the holidays together, and you birth this pilot episode of Six Feet Under. Uh, We have a wake or a visitation of sorts going on when the Fisher family is getting the news of Nathaniel Sr.'s death. A great moment where once Ruth learns her husband is dead in a car accident, uh, the first words she utter is, the hearse is ruined. Again, you're six feet under humor. Uh, So the wake is going on downstairs. You have David alongside the widow looking at his dead wife in the casket. Uh, Lends over to David and says, if there's any justice in the world, she's shoveling shit somewhere. Again, coming from the funeral perspective, this happens far more often than people think. Maybe as we go further on in the series, I'll be able to share some stories like this in my past. Uh, But I don't want that to get in the way of our pilot episode. But while we're here, um, 2001 must have had a different stigma towards cell phones in a professional setting. Because we have David still next to the widow, his cell phone rings, and he answers it right next to him. If you're a funeral director or basically anyone who works in a professional setting with a client, you would never ever answer your phone, especially right next to the deceased. Again, this is a TV show, but watching it with the funeral director lens on and being in 2016, uh, I definitely jerked back a little seeing this. 
The greatness or the realness of the show is illustrated when David yells out during the visitation. Uh, we see quickly it's sort of an insight, you know, into David's psyche. But if you took the news of the death out of it, you know, how many times have you in your personal or work life wanted to do something similar? You know, uh, conversely, when the female mourner with her mousy tone, who does become a, an important character later on, uh, is chewing David's ear off, and he just can't fight the urge anymore to be professional, and just freaks and lashes out. You know, imagine having to stay professional when learning about the death of a loved one. You know, I, I'm surprised as the viewer that he doesn't do more than that. Earlier in the episode, uh, Nate met a woman named Brenda on the plane and had, for a lack of better terms, relations with and gets the unfortunate task of having to drive Nate to the morgue to identify his dead father. Nate is brought into the morgue to ID his father. And a funny little note, and I'm surprised how they got away with it, you know, Alan Ball says that there was actually a dead body in the morgue that we see here. Uh, but back to the ID, uh, speaking from my experience, uh, this is not how it's done generally. Uh, generally, a photo is taken of the deceased, then shown to the next of kin to ID. Uh, the morgue is a pretty cold place, you know, physically and figuratively, and can be pretty traumatizing, you know, seeing your loved one being rolled out of the cooler on a tray like that. You know, a few moments later, you know, David comes to remove his father from the morgue to bring to the funeral home, which is pretty spot on on how it's performed. And we can get into how to perform removals from nursing homes, hospitals, and houses later on in the series. Interesting to note here, Nate Sr. would have been autopsied in real life to determine how he died. Uh, we certainly will get into autopsies in later episodes, uh, but during the commentary, and Alan Ball, you know, lends credence to this, saying his advisors on the show told him Nate Sr. would have been autopsied, you know, but then they told him an autopsied body cannot be embalmed, which is certainly not true at all, being a funeral director. He then goes on to say that funeral directors everywhere are saying, what's going on with Nate Sr.'s body? You know, because if you watch the scene, he sort of jerry-rigs something on the body. You know, and to be honest, as an experienced embalmer, I have no idea what he put together when I saw the scene. And I don't think we were supposed to know what embalming practice he had going on. You know, I think it was just meant to be a quick shot of the embalming process. Nathaniel is finally brought from the morgue to the funeral home to be embalmed. Uh, there's definitely a horror movie vibe as we are brought into the embalming or the prep room as the viewer. The embalming room is pretty spot on, you know, and of course each one varies, but I didn't see anything too Hollywood here to dress it up, you know, and while listening to the commentary, uh, Alan Ball originally sent in the first draft of his script and HBO responded, can you make it a little more effed up? Gladly, he sent it back more effed up. And I think that's what we kind of get with this next scene where he inserts this flashback of a 10-year-old Nate watching his father embalm and being offered to touch the body with gloves on. Uh, definitely a effed up moment in any kid's life. 
Quick note to add here, uh, we meet our embalmer, Frederico, or Rico, as he's called in the show, and he has this array of pictures of restorative artwork he's done. And speaking on behalf of the funeral industry, I would like to say we do not take pictures to leave on display as, you know, trophies of sort uh, of work we've done in the past. Uh, on my personal opinion, it's pretty offensive to families and their loved ones that we serve. A running gag or plot that happens throughout the series run is Nathaniel arriving in ghost form or psyche form to his family. Uh, he sort of plays each person's psyche that he talks to, like we see here him talking to David. You could kind of get the vibe already that David has had to be the perfect Boy Scout of the family. He's pretty insecure and uncomfortable with himself as a person. Uh, possibly because who he really is and or never being able to live up to his father's expectations. A great shot here is when Nate dreams his father is at the morgue, naked, playing cards with a few other dead people. You know, just an effed up scenario to be thinking of, but is true with his life than most is. We arrive at the wake for Nathaniel, and usually during a visitation or a funeral, uh, the revelations that come out are about the deceased but here and probably because this is a tv show our revelations come out about the living family the biggest revelation we see here is david has a boyfriend and it is our black cop keith and here something i've always maintained is that women just have a better gaydar than men and we see it here as claire sitting in the corner of the room instantly sees it that her brother is gay and keith is her boyfriend but not before we have a little six feet under humor, uh, Claire hits on Keith while viewing her dead father in the casket. Uh, instead of the revelation being David is gay, uh, Ruth, in her state of shock, uh, the biggest question she asks him is, you're friends with the cop? You know, six feet under humor, brilliantly displayed. Nate has his little freak out while talking to Claire at the wake. And he flashes back to how true and organic he once saw a funeral while backpacking across Europe in Sicily, which, again, in the commentary, uh, Alan Ball actually drew this from personal experience. You know, but here, Nate has such a earth tone character, you know, trying to peel away the artificialness of it all. A random mourner even comes over to Nate, giving, in my opinion, one of the worst cliches uh, that he's in a better place now. You know, said just by a total random stranger with words that probably meant good, but ultimately hold no weight, uh, an empty gesture. And, you know, this happens all too often. Uh, it's better to hide behind comforting empty gestures or cliches than to really deal with the issue. And, and I can't totally blame us or society for doing so. You know, that's a lot of mental baggage to be carrying for and from everyone quick note to add here uh we have rico talking to a random woman at the wake uh about someone he's done restorative work on and you would never ever discuss what goes on in the embalming room with a random person you know especially during the wake of someone you know during the wake, uh, I believe there's a moment that had to be a pretty big risk for a pilot episode. Uh, Brenda calls Nate, and with no explanation whatsoever, there's a guy who is sobbing hysterical in the background, comes into the scene, grabs something from the fridge, walks out of the frame, 
no mention of it or acknowledged uh, for a pilot episode to insert this, I think was a pretty big risk. And to add to it, typical six feet under humor. We move on to Nathaniel's burial, and here the mood is, you know, somber, morbid, and it's where the funeral gets a sad rep. Uh, but here you have the the showdown of David versus Nate. Uh, David providing the funeral industry aspect of it, while Nate comes with his organic view. You know, Nate comes at it with, "Why are we putting all these euphemisms and covering what this really is? Why does it feel so surgical, so antiseptic?" Uh, David responds with his, this is how it's always been done mantra. Uh, here, I have to say, I, as the funeral director who's attended many funerals, I totally side with Nate here. Yeah, it's like society only allows you to grieve a certain amount. There's an allotment of grief given uh, before we deem you as crazy or unable to handle death. You know, And why is that? Something I've always liked to ask people, and this is off topic, but it kind of ties into what's going on here. Uh, it happens in sports all the time, you know, but there's nothing as drastic as when a soccer player scores a goal. You know, do you see how happy they are? The, the running, the screaming, the joy. True, genuine emotion. You know, but I, ever, I always ask, are you ever that happy in life? Do you ever get to express it like that? Of course, the goal being scored is nowhere near as important as a raise or an achievement in your career or, you know, a child being born, but... Why don't we get to express that same emotion? Why is that it's only tied to something as insignificant as sports? You know, why can't Nate freak out and admit how much it sucks to have lost his only father? You know, on the other side too, uh, David is right as well, which leads to a great conversation about this. But, you know, we as funeral directors do provide a great service that's needed for families at arguably one of the worst times in their life, you know. But maybe the grieving or the process doesn't have to be so antiseptic or cookie cutter, you know. But to add to it, while while they're arguing about grieving, there's also an argument on different wavelengths. You know, they aren't working towards the same goal in this argument. Um, the argument is about grieving, but there's layers under it of what they're really discussing. When Ruth has her own personal freak out, uh, David goes to console Ruth, but Nate doesn't let him. You know, let her grieve it out, he says. And here, it's a perfect moment of your capsule of how the fishes are. You know, Ruth is here grieving, bearing her soul, hand in the dirt, while Nate is just slightly behind her with one arm on her back. You know, and right here, David is in the distance, left out, and Claire is right over there in the corner, all by herself. It's a beautiful portrait describing the Fisher family. Later on that day, uh, David heads to Keith's house to finally let loose. Again, uh, a big risk in a pilot episode in 2001, uh, characters being that openly and bluntly gay. Here, Keith is a rock, you know, physically and emotionally for David. You know, for David and all his antisepticness, you know, David just has this primal urge just to get it out, you know, to be touched, be loved, be heard. And Keith, again, being the strong, rational one, calms him down. Uh, the route this relationship takes is definitely beautiful for all its ups and downs that we'll see. And, you know, we'll see it grow throughout the series. Uh, here, there's a nice little flashback sequence of Nate and David running around while Nathaniel is watering the grass. And, you know, what I love here is, you, you know, you remember the big moments as a kid, absolutely. But 
when you do your own flashback, you know, the moments you hold close are the random ones, the random ones that you can remember. Kind of like what we see here, just the kids playing with his dad in the front yard. You know, to me, just a great sequence of flesh and back. As the episode winds down, uh, Nate goes for his run, ironically, in a cemetery, uh, symbolizing what he's been running from for his whole life, now coming to the forefront. And when Nate finally slows down in town, he sees his father on a bus bench, obviously a ghost version, and with some typical nice six feet under humor of accident and the wrongful death ad that Nathaniel is sitting on. Uh, Nathaniel gets on the bus and essentially waves goodbye to his son. And, you know, you could see right under the bus on where he's sitting on the actual bus itself, there's a, an ad for a good night's sleep. Just great six feet under humor. And that wraps up our pilot episode. There's definitely some points I glossed over, but wanted to hit here at the end. And definitely that's the advertisements that are sprinkled throughout the episode. Uh, we have our first one uh, of the hearse. Uh, my takeaway from this advertisement, there was a very you know Stanley Kubrickian 2001 Space Odyssey vibe to it, which I think is important to remember for the next episode as the episode opens up. And obviously, we'll get there next week. Um, next, we have the Leving Splendor Fluids ad, which on the commentary, you know, Alan Ball humorously says, you know, it's a jab at how sex sells in advertisement, you know, even in embalming fluid. The Wound Filler ad, uh, a nice nod to the 50s and 60s. And my favorite ad of the four is our last one, the Franklin Funeral Supplies, the Shaker. I didn't pick up on this myself personally, but in the commentary, Alan Ball says how this was a gag on those late 90s, early 2000 Gap ads, you know, which it definitely brilliantly parodies, uh, you know, juxtaposed here with the music and all. It's great. Unfortunately, the, the ads were done for the first and last time in this pilot episode. Me personally, I subscribe to the theory that these ads may have cheapened or made the show seem gimmicky. So I'm okay with the ads you know, never being shown again in the show. During Nathaniel's burial, uh, we get David being approached by a gentleman from Kroner, a corporate chain of funeral homes. We will definitely get more into this in later episodes, and I too, as the funeral director, would like to get into it. We as an industry are experiencing the, for lack of a better term, the war on corporate versus family-owned funeral homes. Both have their advantage and disadvantages, and I think it's nice to be able to discuss this as it's an advantage to you, the listener. For a pilot, I think they left a lot on the table and definitely keep us coming back for more. Hopefully, I did the same for you as the listener. Uh, the pilot teased a lot, and it gives us a nice glimpse into the Fisher family, as well as its surrounded cast. As the host and you know a big fan of Six Feet Under, it's hard not being able to comment on how each plot carries out and as I discuss it. Uh, I'll do my best to contain each episode in case for any new viewers who have never seen the show before. I will say, though, it's definitely pay attention to the detail of each character. This show is rare in that it rewards you, the viewer, for doing so. And... That about wraps up our pilot podcast for Digging Six Feet Under. Uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, criticisms, or topics you'd like me to get into, please shoot me an email. Uh, the email for the podcast is diggingsixfeetunder at gmail.com. Uh, 
And if you're a Reddit fan, uh, you know, look for my post. Uh, it's going to be under the subreddit Six Feet Under. Uh, for those not familiar with Reddit, it'll be uh, reddit.com slash r slash six feet under all together no spaces thank you and join us next week as we'll be discussing season one episode two titled the will thank you for listening to the digging six feet under podcast join us on the next episode as we review each episode of hbo's original television series six feet under Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.